From ABC, this is World News Tonight with Peter Jennings. Reporting tonight from Berlin. Top story. The Iron Curtain between East Germany and West Berlin has... Go astonishing news from East Germany, where the East German authorities have said... In extraordinary night of euphoria in Berlin within hours of East Germany's decision to let its people go by... Made the announcement, we repeat it again, anybody who wishes to travel to the West from East Germany to travel anywhere in the world is completely free to do so. If they wish to travel and return... If you're like me and live in America, you've heard a lot of talk since the 2016 election about the concept of walls and how walls can keep certain people groups out and keep other people groups in. But this week, the first week, full week of November 2019, is a very, very important anniversary. Um, November the 9th will mark 30 years since the fall of arguably the most famous wall, at least of the last couple of centuries, the Berlin Wall. And it is a very big cause for celebration, and it's a very important story to learn, um, not just to understand what walls do to people um, and why they get put up, but what it's like when they come down. And so on this week's episode of This Is Super Cool, uh, we'll be talking about that, and we'll be talking about everything that was behind the construction and eventual demolition of this barrier through the heart of Berlin. And I hope at the end we can all learn a lesson about something as simple yet as powerful as a wall. For we believe that freedom and security go together. That the advance of human liberty, the advance of human liberty can only strengthen the cause of world peace. There is one sign the Soviets can make that would be unmistakable. General Secretary Gorbachev, come here to this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, open this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, Tear down this wall. Alright guys, welcome to episode 3. Um, as always, I am going to try and probably fail to get you out of here within half an hour. Um, I think last time I was at like 43 minutes um, total, so my goal today is to try to be in between 30 and 40. So we'll see, because I don't know how to make anything succinct. So let's get into it. Also, you know what? I specifically need to, to call out my friend Jerry right now, because he made me very aware that I apparently like click my tongue a lot, 
or do the like kind of a noise fuck you jerry i just I don't have time for your crap like i don't care so i might do it more now just to make you angry anyway that's that's that so um yeah so the 9th of of this month uh, november 9th um as slash 10th technically the 9th um, marks the 30th anniversary of the fall of the berlin wall and if you are like me if you're a millennial um, this can, which basically means you were born anywhere between 1982, roughly, until like 1996 or so. Um, this event either was something that marked your childhood, or because you remember it, or um, you grew up hearing about it, uh, like in school or from cousins or friends or family members because it happened so closely to when you were a child. Um, now, I am 29. Um, as of right now, I'll turn 30 uh, in July of next year of 2020. Um, so I was born right after um, the wall fell, a couple of months after the wall fell, um, July of 1990. And I... Um, like to joke with my friends because I love the 80s so much as a decade that I was, I'm technically an, an 80s kid because um, I was born like a few days before my mom's due date or before my due date. Um, and so if you backtrack, you know, July's the seventh month, nine months, how long it takes to make a baby. I was, so I was technically conceived before the fall of the wall, but um, so I'm an 80s kid. Um, but yeah, so for a lot of us um, that are millennials, it's kind of one of those events, especially if you, you were a kid or a teen in the 80s. Um, it, it was a crucial um, s cultural stepping stone. But if you're like me, you know, came into the world right after this, like I have only ever known the idea of a unified Germany and a post-Cold War world. Uh, it was something that, yeah, I was aware it had just happened, but I didn't experience it. Um, I, 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 and it wasn't until I started to research this, um, honestly, not just for this podcast, even though I learned a lot for this episode, but just randomly trying to learn about it, I don't know, maybe like a couple of months ago, it was on my mind and I looked it up, um, there was a lot I didn't know, so I will try to be, um, you know, kind of quick, but that won't probably happen, so, um, let's go. I'm also going to take off my watch because I keep getting text notifications on it and it's very distracting. Okay. So basically what you have to understand about the Berlin Wall um, is that there were a lot of conditions um, that led to it post-World War II. So after uh, World War II, obviously, and I kind of mentioned this a little bit in episode uh, one when I was talking about uh, King Ludwig of Bavaria, and I promise also this is not a podcast about Germany. Um, this is just the way things have fallen. Two of my first three episodes have been in Germany. I, I promise it's not just, oh, welcome to Deutschland. Like it's not, it's a podcast about many things, as you'll see in the next coming weeks. This is just the way the dice have fallen. So after World War II, there was this thing called the Potsdam, which is a, a town in Germany, um, the Potsdam Agreement. And basically what it did is it said, okay, Germany, you tried to take over the world. You fucked shit up. Now we're going to fuck you up. We're going to split you into quarters, into, into four um, regional pieces so that you're not unified and can't do this crap again. And we are going to give these four pieces um, of land that were used to be Germany um, to the Allies. So the U.S. got a quarter, which was you know basically Bavaria and and a little bit more. Um, France got the part near France. Britain got kind of like the northwest part, and then the USSR, um, the Soviets, got um, 
what we would later come to know as East, East Germany, um, the part that was closer to the USSR. Um, also, I found out that one of the reasons, if you look on a map, that there's a little sliver of Russia, like in the Baltic states, it's called Stalingrad, I think is, is like the main town there. I always wondered why they had this kind of outcropping there, kind of like how the U.S. has Alaska, like a part of it that doesn't touch any other part. Turns out that used to be um, what Germany referred to, I think, as, as Eastern Prussia. It was basically, it was part of Germany, and then Russia was like, oh, we'll take that now after the war, fun facts. Anyway, so eventually what happened was the three Western allies combined their pieces into one, and uh, gave them uh, autonomy, and that's what became the uh, um, what we know as West Germany. Um, the official name for it, I believe, I really need to get better at organizing my notes, was the Federal Republic of Germany, which I think is is the name of, of modern Germany now. It's the the Bundesrepublik of Deutschland, the Federal Republic of, of Germany. Um, so that was uh, West Germany. What became or would become East Germany was the German Democratic Republic. Um, fun fact as well that I seem to have just picked up on, I don't know if this is always true, but it seems that if ever the word democratic is used in a country's name, it's not democratic. Um, kind of like how Greenland's not green and Iceland's not all, all ice and, you know, it's just people are weird about names. So it's like, I think, you know, North Korea is like the People's Republic of Korea. There's like Democratic Republic of Congo. There's like the People's, I think, Democratic Republic of China. I can't, I can't remember the official names. If you see Democratic, like if, if anyone, if like Trump's ever like, let's change our name to the Democratic uh, States of the Republic of America, it's a bad sign. Don't do it. Democratic as a country name, always bad. Anyway, so the USSR did not like the idea of combining their peace in with the Allies and allowing it to become autonomous because it's the fucking USSR. So they're a bunch of assholes and they're like, oh, I'm not, I was going to try to do a Russian accent. I won't. Um, cause I'm, I'm going to naturally do German now this episode. Um, cause they're dicks cause they're Soviets. And so they were just like, oh, we would rather just control every minutia of the lives of these people. So they started to indoctrinate people with Marxism and, and, um, Leninism. And it was a compulsory part of, of different school curricula. Um, so a lot of intellectuals flew, um, uh, started to flee to the West. Um, there was secret police and stuff, you know. Obviously, a lot of these East Germans were like, well, wait a second, we just got done with Nazism. The fuck would we deal with this shit again? We're going to hightail it out of here and go to like a democratized West. Um, so what? Uh, the first kind of big thing that happened in regards to Berlin was that in 1948, there had been some disagreements um, about several things. And so Joseph Stalin, leader of the USSR, um, instituted what was called the Berlin Blockade. I'd never heard of this. Um, and basically what he did was food, materials, and supplies coming from West Berlin, um, he created a blockade. Um, and these are supplies that, you know, like the U.S., the U.K., France, Australia, um, a bunch of, of these Western allies um, got together because he basically would like literally block the roads and the rail lines and stuff they just airlifted shit in and they were just like you know parachute food in and land planes and, and do all this stuff to bring these people supplies and um, eventually what happened is there were a lot of massive protests in Berlin as well 
and then around a year later in May of 1949, Stalin lifted the blockade, um, allowing, you know, kind of more legal shipments of, of Western goods into Berlin. So uh, East Germany officially was declared on October 7th of 1949, um, four years after the war had ended. Um, and from then, it just shit got bad for East Germany um, for the first few years after they were a country. So um, GDR, again, German Democratic Republic, their citizens moving to West Germany, um, 187,000 in 1950, 165,000 in 1951, 182,000 in 1952, and 331,000 people in 1953. So just this mass, mass influx of people into Western Germany from East Germany because they just didn't want to deal with that shit because why would you? Um, and so there was also this thing, um, the, the inner German border, so the, the long border between East and West Germany. Um, at this time, it was closed. There was a barbed wire fence put up, which I'd never thought about before, but yet, like, the entire length of Germany, um, which, I, you know, is roughly the size of the U.S. state of Montana is what I've, I've heard in, in square mileage. Um, I don't know how 100% accurate that is. I think it's fairly close. But, yeah, just, like, right down the middle, um, just big-ass barbed wire fence. And um, so people would always, obviously, try to uh, flee over to the west. And in 1956... Um, the East German state legally restricted virtually all travel um, into the West. So within seven years of, of this place coming into existence, it was very clear that they uh, did not want to lose any more people and they did want to control holistically the lives of the people that were still there. Um, which just, man, it just, that sucks to be in that position of like, you're liberated, like you've you know, put yourself in these people's shoes. Like, you get the shit kicked out of you in World War One. You go into this massive depression in, in you know, the late, well, in the 20s and in the 30s. This guy, Hitler, comes to power. You maybe even voted for him because you're like, ah, he kind of seems like he might be a little racist. Maybe I don't like that. Um, but he says he's going to improve the economy. And, you know, I, I, you know, surely he doesn't really mean what he says about, you know, people with non-white skin. So he's going to help the economy. So I'm going to vote for him. That doesn't have a parallel to modern American society at all. And so he, you know, maybe you voted for this Hitler guy. And then he did bad shit. And you legitimately regret it. And your country got the shit bombed out of it again. Well, here you are less than a decade later, and, you know, if you have family that lives, like, 100 miles to the west, they're free, and they're loving it, and they're getting, you know, uh, M&Ms and Reese's Pieces out of vending machines and listening to Cindy Lauper on the radio, you know, or, or you know, 99 Luft Balloons, and you're over here dealing with the fucking Soviet secret police, and it just... Like, you got to feel for these people, man. It just was not a good time to be a German, or at least a German in the East in the 50s. Very different than the American experience um, in, in the 50s. Um, I guess at least if you were white. Um, and so, basically, on December um, 11th, 1957, East Germany introduced a new passport law that reduced the overall number of refugees leaving Eastern Germany. So, again, they had like a lockdown on their people and they would not let them leave. Um, those caught trying to leave uh, East Berlin, which I guess I kind of failed to mention earlier. So basically when Germany was subdivided into four pieces, um, Berlin being the capital, it was also divided into four pieces. So you have this weird little island, you know, in the middle of um, Eastern Germany that has 
non-Soviet parts to it. So when Eastern Germany, East and West Germany were created, the capital of Berlin was also split because France, Britain, and the U.S. made their portions of Berlin one city, and then, you know, or or one you know part of the city which became West Berlin, and then East Berlin was still part part of the Soviets. And so I'd never thought about this till I did research, but it's it's really interesting because I always thought that like with the Berlin Wall. It was because I, I tend when I think of walls to think of just like a linear wall, like a border wall, not a wall is in the sense of like a, a house has four walls and it encloses something. So like as you'll see in a bit, um, the Berlin Wall, um, it wasn't just one wall. It was multiple walls that basically enclosed part of the city of Berlin um, because you have to understand if you lived 20 miles outside of the city of Berlin, you were in Soviet territory. So you were free to go into East Berlin. And if you lived in East Berlin, you could go out into the countryside. But if you lived in the western portion of the city of Berlin, you couldn't go out into the countryside. You couldn't even go to the eastern part of your own city. It's it's very weird. It would be like I'm trying to think of an equivalent. I mean, it's almost like if, you know, Manhattan was cut off and Manhattan was, you know, Canadian. And it's like you can, you know, go, um, but you're still within New York City, you know, it, but it's part of another country, but it's the same city. So it's like, you know, if you lived in Yonkers, I think that's a real place, you lived in Yonkers, New York, or in Boston or something, you know, you could travel down and go to New York City but you wouldn't be allowed to go into Manhattan. And if you were in Manhattan, you couldn't go out into anywhere else. It was a very weird setup. Um, and so people who were caught trying to leave East Berlin to go into West Berlin, because what a lot of, a lot of these people would do is instead of trying to go you know, hundreds of miles to the west and, and escape through this barbed wire fence, they would just escape to the other part of Berlin, to the other side of the city, and then catch a plane out, which is why the, the German government, the East German government started to be like, uh, no, we're not going to let you have passports. We're going to tr start to try to, you know, create checkpoints and do this stuff to, um, you know, you know, lower the amount of visas that are allowed, all this stuff, because we don't want our people to hop a plane and, and jump ship. Um, and so, but there was at the time in the late fifties, there was still no physical barrier and subway train access was still available to West Berlin. Um, and so the Berlin, the Berlin border was essentially a loophole, like I was saying, that Eastern um, Soviet citizens could escape through. This is crazy. So by 1961, 3.5 million East Germans had left, which was approx excuse me, approximately 20% of the entire East German population. So here's where we get to the actual Berlin Wall. Um, so at midnight... This is crazy shit, guys. So literally at midnight on August 13th, 1961, police and units of the East German Army um, just started to build this fucking wall so that by Sunday morning, the border with West Berlin was closed. Um, the these, these troops and these workers basically just started to dig up and tear up the streets running along the border to make them impossible to pass. They put barbed wire entanglements and fences along the 97 miles around um, the, the three western sectors um, and basically um, created almost like a, a walled medieval city. So, like I was saying, I always thought the Berlin Wall was just like down the middle of Berlin. And I never understood, like, oh, I guess you could just go up, you know, 20 or 30 miles 
around it. No, you couldn't. They literally, the entire western section of the city, they walled in. Like, you were trapped. If you were in what, so it was, it's this weird situation where if you're in western Berlin, you're technically a freer people in the sense of you're western and democratic, but you're also, I mean, and you can fly out of western Berlin if you need to, but you're also trapped in the sense that you're surrounded by walls. But as we'll see, it was even more complicated than that because um, this was a weird, semi-porous border. Um, and so the date of August 13th became commonly referred to in Germany as Barbed Wire Sunday, which is really sad but epic as hell. Um, so the way that they set up the wall was basically you had this big, eventually at least, concrete wall with a smooth pipe on the top to, that made it hard to climb. Um, and this, this was all in the east. They didn't want to encroach on western um, German property. So this was all technically like on the east German side of the border. It's not like it was literally in the middle of the border. And so there was this big zone called the Death Strip where they had like smooth sand and um, dirt. So if somebody was walking, it'd be easy to see them. They had trenches dug. They had like, um, like you know, those big, I don't can't remember what they're called, but they're like big crosses. They look like giant um, jacks. Um, that you see, like, in movies at Normandy and stuff. They had, like, wartime defenses in here. They had a barbed wire fence on the other side. They had guard towers. Um, so you would be clearly, in searchlights, you'd be clearly seen if you tried to jump the fence. You have to, you know, run 20 or 30 feet. You would get, you know, most likely shot. Um, they did not make it easy to escape. And so... Yeah, during the construction of the wall, the National People's Army and um, combat groups of the working class, which is an official group, um, these soldiers stood in front of it and they had orders to shoot anyone who attempted to defect. Um, on August 9th, a few days prior, the NSA, um, National Security Administration, had actually intercepted an advance warning of the so um, Soviets' plan to close the border, but... JFK didn't find out until noon the day that it had had happened when the wall's already built because he was vacationing on his yacht. I love JFK, but really, man, I mean, and it was a weekend, so I guess you can't blame him, but I'm like, he's the president. Like, you're the NSA. Like, reach out to the dude. This is just pathetic. Um, yeah, in June of 62, a second parallel fence was built. Um, again, this is when you start to have this kind of double-layered construction with this death strip. And um, the Eastern Bloc actually portrayed the wall as protecting its own population from the fascist elements um, conspiring to prevent the will of the people in building a socialist state. So they... They're Russians, man. They're just like the Nazis, um, but they're on different sides of the political spectrum. They're great at propaganda. And so they were just like, oh, no, no, um, this is to protect you against the, the far right because, you know, the far right is what Nazis were. We're far left. We're, we're mo so much so much better. Um, so we want you to not be afraid of the fascists. And they actually officially referred to the Berlin Wall as the Antifascistische Schutzwall, which translates to the anti-fascist protection rampart. Um, they continued to build onto this wall and make it more modern. The fourth generation wall, um, as they call it, was completed in about 1980. Um, it was 12 feet high and 3.9 feet wide, made of reinforced concrete, which is the wall that we all know and see um, that um, became famous with the graffiti and stuff. Um, 
during the time that the Berlin Wall was up, um, and this is, like I was saying, it gets kind of weird, um, most of the time the border was only closed for citizens of East Germany traveling to the West. But if residents of West Berlin wanted to travel to the East, they could. Because I'm guessing the theory was, well, we don't want to start a war by literally making these Westerners prisoners, but by blocking it off for our own citizens, they're our prisoners because they're our people, and so they can't escape to other countries. And we still want, you know, the um, the economic benefits of Westerners traveling here. So if they want to come over to, you know, see family or, or you know, and then go to a restaurant and stuff, we're not going to say no to their money. But we don't want our people to try to escape. So by it's this weird situation, man, where like by walling in this one people group, you're actually holding the people on the outside of the wall prisoner. Like it's it was fucking crazy, and so um, West Berliners initially though could not visit East Berlin or East Germany at all um, from August of 26, right after the wall was built of 1961, until the end of December of 1963. Um, they couldn't at all. Um, then there were some negotiations, and it started slowly. Um, there were limited um, visits available during the Christmas season that year, and then over the next few years it was also allowed and then eventually became more permeable to Westerners. Um, between East and West Berlin, there were nine border crossings, um, and again, other West Germans, Westerners, uh, West Berliners, um, they were allowed to go into East um, Berlin, but uh, for the most part, East Germans were not. Um, this is one of these non-border crossings is the famous Checkpoint Charlie, um, which was restricted to just allied personnel and foreigners. Um, let's see, what is this? Uh, in 1971, there was a thing called the Four Power Agreement on Berlin. Um, agreements were reached that allowed West Berliners to apply for visas to enter East uh, Germany and Berlin regularly. So, again, still took a decade, but eventually Westerners were allowed to regularly do this, um, which West Germans had already been able to, um, but East Germans could refuse entry permits for whatever reason they wanted to. Um, at first, again, East Germans and East Berliners, they, they couldn't go to the West at all. Um, and this was essentially true holistically until the wall came down, but there were exceptions. Again, didn't know this. So it was a lot more perme. It wasn't a great situation. I'm not suggesting we build walls around people, but it wasn't, and it wasn't, I'm not saying it wasn't bad by any means, but it wasn't as locked tight as I thought it was. Um, there was a lot more permeability to this border. And so elderly pensioners could travel to the West starting in 65. Um, you could get temporary visas to visit relatives or important family members um, or people just who, who had to travel to the West for professional reasons for work or whatever. Um, let's see. Again, though, regardless of what your reason was, at any point they could tell you no. Um, so escapes. Um, oh, also, this is kind of crazy. So this people tried to escape so much and because the east germans restricted how much money you could take over to the west because i guess they didn't you know want to lose more money um they would restrict how much money you could take and so there was this um thing i'm gonna mess up this pronunciation begrüßungsgeld begrüßungsgeld or welcome money. So the West Germans, any time an East German or an East Berliner visited West Germany, they would literally just say, like, here's $100. They would give them more money so they could spend more money on the uh, West German economy because they knew they weren't bringing that much money with them. Um, so 
there were a shit ton of escapes. Um, the German government had issued shooting orders um, through defectors, though they allegedly were never told shoot to kill, just shoot, I guess, to wound. Um, though it later came out an official statement um, in... October of 1973, um, it had been discovered that there was this, I guess, long-standing um, statement that says, do not hesitate to use your firearm, not even when the border is breached in the company of women and children. So, yeah, they were definitely um, okay with shooting people, um, even if they weren't trying to kill them. Um, you know, early, early successful escapes were people just jumping over barbed wire and stuff. The 15th of August, Conrad Schumann was the first East German border guard to escape by jumping the barbed wire. So just a few days later, um, a week, uh, roughly a week after that, Ida Siegman was the first casualty. She died after, ugh, she died after she jumped out of her third floor apartment building. Um, something else, so a lot of times they would build the wall right up to apartments and so many people would just try to jump out of their apartment window onto Western territory. Um, and a lot of people escaped that way, but eventually they realized, well, probably shouldn't have built these right up wall right up to a building. And so what they did is they either bricked up the windows, boarded them up, or eventually they just, um, forced the people in those apartments to move. They condemned the buildings and they tore them down. Um, so the first person to be shot and killed while trying to cross to West Berlin was Gunter Litfen, a 24-year-old tailor. Um, and he actually was shot because he was trying to swim across the Spree, which is the main river in Berlin. Um, and that was, Jesus, this guy's luck. That was the same day that East German police had received shoot-to-kill orders. Um, so I was wrong earlier. I guess there actually were shoot-to-kill orders at some point. Um, let's see. At one point, there was this 19-year-old who basically stole a, an armored personnel vehicle and just drove it right into the wall. Um, he was seriously wounded, but a German policeman um, fired his weapon back at the East Germans and pulled him out of the vehicle and drug him over to the West. So kudos to that guy. Um, some methods that people used um, to escape. Um, they would dig tunnels under the wall. I think I read that there at some point um, they found there were over 70 tunnels under the wall. Not all, like I guess fully dug or successful, but total un, uh, over 70. So people would try to dig long tunnels under the wall to escape. Um, they would slide along aerial wires, um, fly air, personal aircraft out. Um, one guy drove a sports car at full speed through just the fence. Um, apparently afterwards they put up metal beams at checkpoints to prevent this, but four people um, drove in a sports car that had been modified so that when they hit this uh, horizontal bar, the roof just cle just cleanly came off, and basically they, I guess, put a brick or something, I don't know, on the accelerator, all laid down in the car so that when this beam you know, ripped the top of the car off, they were laying down and fine, and then they shot, sat back up, and just drove away. Um, people did crazy shit because they were prisoners. Um, my favorite, though, is, and this is a true story, waiting, people would, one, one time, not people, this one family, they made their own goddamn, sorry, goddamn hot air balloon, and they escaped with a homemade fucking hot air balloon, which just, that, and I would, I would say there needs to be a, um, movie about it, but actually there was apparently a movie made about it, so check that out, I don't know the name though, so I guess you can't, um, so, yeah, that's travel. People would try to um, escape. It, 
uh, through all those different means. Um, yeah, there was a, an airborne escape. Um, oh, Jesus. Okay, I hope you're ready to cry. Um, I'm going to say this. This will be real sad, and then we'll talk about um, the end of the wall because I'm at my half an hour right now. Peter Fetcher, aged 18. Um, this is very sad just because he was such a sharp-looking young guy, and just any time a teenager dies, it's very sad, unless it's teenage Hitler, I guess. Um so if an escapee was wounded in a crossing and they were in the death strip, no matter how close they were to the Western Wall, Westerners couldn't intervene because they didn't want to be fired upon. So on August 17th of 1962, just after the one-year anniversary of the construction, um, Peter Fetcher and his friend Helmut Kuhlbike, Kuhl, Kuhl, yeah, Kuhlbike attempted to flee. Um, basically, they jumped out of a window from a store onto the death strip. They were going to run, run across it, climb over the wall with barbed wire, and then land in the um, Kreuzberg district of West Berlin. But um, they were fired at, and even though the friend Kuhlbeck, cool, cool Kuhlbike, cool I really don't know how you say his name, um, Helmet, he got over the wall. Fetcher was shot in the pelvis while still climbing in plain view of hundreds of witnesses. He fell back onto the death strip. Um, and he remained in view of West German onlookers, including journalists, and received no assistance from the East German side, and people from the West could not help him. Um, West Berlin police threw him bandages, but he could not reach them, and he lay there screaming for an hour before he bled to death. Um, like, I literally, first time I read this and looked up the Wikipedia page and, like, saw this kid's face, because, you know, it gets real then. Like, that's when this shit is real. I literally started to cry, because I'm just imagining this, like, 18-year-old crying. Like, he just wants to be free. Like, he was born right after, like, you know, the Nazis fell. He must have been mildly kind of, I guess, excited growing up. Like, not that it was an easy life, but, you know, as a kid, you at least avoided the horrors of Nazism. And then you have to deal with fucking, like communist bullshit and then you're you know he's probably crying out for his mom or his friend or whatever and there are literally hundreds of people like watching this kid die I just, oh i can't um so anyway um his death created negative publicity oh you think um so the leaders of east berlin placed more restrictions on shooting at least in public places and required that medical be care be given for would-be escapers. Um, the last person, this is also, everything's fucking crazy, I swear. Um, the last person to be shot and killed while trying to cross this border was Chris Gaffroy on February 6, 1989. And the final person to die in an escape attempt was Winifred, no, Winfried Freudenberg, who was killed when his homemade okay so he also made a gas-filled balloon but it crashed in march of 89 during the period of the wall over 100,000 people attempted to escape over 5,000 people succeeded um and the estimated death toll again this isn't good not as high as i thought it would be um it goes anywhere from 136 to around 200 in and around berlin so um again not a not a fun time to be alive um the and be a german or, or in the east or in berlin the end of the wall, though. Um, happiness. So basically, um, the U.S. The, so the USSR president, Michael uh, Mike, Mikhail Gorbachev, um, he started to enact policies in the 80s of openness and democracy in the Eastern Bloc of countries um, that uh, is apparently a Russian principle in general known as Glasnost. 
Um, and part of uh, that um, policy gives it gave these Eastern Bloc Soviet countries like Hungary and Poland more autonomy. It allowed them to have more free elections. Um, so uh, eventually Poland and Hungary had enough um, people get elected that were kind of anti-Soviet. They tore down their border wall. A lot of people went through these countries to escape to the West, um, which was the first domino of a lot to fall. Um, you know, this created a lot of massive protests in Berlin and elsewhere. Um, Reagan gave his famous tear down the wall speech in 1987. A bunch of, fa I think I, I saw a um, handful of fa famous musicians gave like tear down the wall concerts in Berlin. Um, and then kind of just as out of the blue as the wall was built, it ended. So unceremoniously on November the 9th, 1989, 30 years ago this week, the East German government um, appeared in this really kind of almost boring, um, run-of-the-mill, uh, bureaucratic press conference and just said, um, yeah, if you're in the East and in the West, you can freely go anywhere within Berlin now. And a reporter was like, well, when does this take place? And this bureaucrat, this guy was just like, I, as far as I know now, <laughs> like, he's like, so yeah, you know, this giant wall you've been dealing with for 20 years, 25 years, ignore it starting now. So obviously all of East Berlin lost their shit and ran towards the wall and the border guards were so overwhelmed. They started like, you know, they, they called, they were like, what's going on? You know, we don't know why are these people coming because like they hadn't even informed the guards yet. Like that's how much of a fuck up this was in the East German government, like in their rollout of this policy. And so they were like stamping some passports and stamping some visas and calling some people and, you know, they don't want to shoot. And then eventually, hours and hours later, um, by like 11 that night, the they kind of just gave up and said, okay, fuck it, whatever, go. And just let people starting to go, go through. Um, and so, uh, yeah, um, that was how it ended. Like that was after all of this stuff happened, the Berlin Wall just kind of petered out. Um, and... I find it really funny. So, yeah, the Brandenburg Gate, the famous gate there, it was open on the 22nd of December. Um, demolition of the wall began in June of 1990, right before it was born. Um, it was completed in November of 91, and then German reunification took place on October the 3rd, um, 1990. Um, and so over, this is actually really funny. Um, my, I've got a really, really good friend um, who was an exchange student at my high school, and um, he is from um, Hanover, and so I remember talking to him a while back about German Reunification Day this October 3rd, and I was like, why is it October 3rd? And uh, I remember him and his parents were like, well, basically, it." they looked at the calendar, and this was one of the only times where there wasn't really anything that Germany had fucked up and done bad in the past, so it was like a clean slate, and... Obviously, especially as an American, I find that extremely funny, but it wasn't until I read this article that I was like, oh, that's not, like, they're not lying, because um, apparently over the years there's been a controversial debate as to whether or not they should just make the, the 9th of November uh, the German national holiday, which, you know, you'd think, okay, because that's when the wall came down, and that's what paved the way for German reunification, also because, though, it is the anniversary of when the Weimar Republic, the kind of first democratic republic uh, of Germany was founded, was November 9th, um, the th you know, thing that existed before Hitler fucked shit up. 
And so you would think they'd make it November 9th, but also, whoopsie, um, in 1923, the Beer Hall push, um, which was kind of Hitler's big, like, first time on the scene, let's have a riot, and then the infamous, infamous Kristallnacht um, thing that happened in 1938, if you remember that. Um, all of that was on November 9th, so probably a good call on the Germans to be like, let's not celebrate on the day that these terrible things also happen. We'll just pick a blank uh, date. So they chose the third. Um, so anyway, that's the Berlin Wall. I'm right at 40 minutes, plus my intro is probably going to be right here at like 45, whatever. Um, just get used to it. If you've, if you've listened to me, the, you know, t twice, this is the third time. So at this point, it's, you know, fool me once, but it's this is all on you now. So anyway, I... And, you know, next week, I won't say what I'm speaking on, but it, it'll probably go for, like, four hours. Fuck it, whatever. Um, I just want to share with y'all, because this shit's important, you know? Like, I get excited about everything, or angry, or bitter, or sassy, or sad. I feel all of the emotions. I blame the fact that I'm an ENFP in the Myers-Briggs and a four in the Enneagram. Yes, I'll talk about those eventually, but I'm hella emotional. And um, I just want to share these because, no, this does matter because we've got a, a current political climate and, and, and a current president that's very much about, like, building walls and, and barriers. And I'm not going to get too into politics on here. I will eventually. But, you know, but this episode is literally about politics because it was a political reality um, and political ideologies that did this to people. And, like, y'all, there were 200 maybe, you know, uh, you know, at least 136 innocent people, including that fucking 18-year-old that, like, died because you have assholes in the world who think that, that their idea of, like, power or economics or what race is superior or what whatever is, like, it's so important they're willing to, like, enslave, like, wall people in and enslave them over, uh, you know, essentially. And, and it's just bullshit because it's just, like, we're all people and... People need to shut the fuck up and get their shit together because, like, I don't have time for this bullshit. Like, and you don't. Like, we don't have time for bullshit people who do bullshit things and cause pain and suffering. And it's just, it's important to understand that, like, this happened 30 years ago. This, I mean, it's the same age as me and, and most of my closest friends. Like, don't take peace for granted. Don't take unified nation states for granted like I, I always talk to my to ben about this and i say dude you were so close to living in like his birth certificate would say west germany because when he was born you know like like we dodged a bullet there um you know he may have dodged literal bullets you know if we'd just been born 20 years sooner or five ten years sooner you know i mean and i often think like if we had been born when our great-grandparents, our great-grandparents had been born, I would probably never would have been friends with this guy. And honestly, there's a chance we would have fought and potentially killed each other on the battlefield in war because evil men and women do evil things and, and they rope people into it. Um, and it's just a bummer. But, but happiness, because Germany's unified now and the Cold War, you know, at least the original Cold War is over and... Um, I think we should celebrate this week. And, and, you know, in America, it's the season of Thanksgiving, not Christmas. It's the season of Thanksgiving and gratitude. And November is just a time, I think, for us to step back and realize that we're blessed and we're lucky um, for what we have and that peace um, and, and unity and stability, it doesn't come simply. It doesn't come easy, and we do need to fight for it. And um, if you are 
um, in a democracy, and you're blessed um, to choose your representatives, unlike the, the people of East you know, Berlin and East Germany for the longest time, go out there. I mean, today in, in the city of Knoxville, Tennessee, where I live, it's election day. Um, you know, the polls are closing here in a few hours. I voted this morning, and um, I'm just grateful, man. You know, I just, it's just like, go fucking vote. You don't have any goddamn, goddamn, I'm trying not to say goddamn, any goddamn reason to not vote. Because there are people that were literally trapped behind a wall for 20 years in Germany. You know, like, don't be a fucking dick. So, Anyway, that's the story of the Berlin Wall um, and the fall of it, the fall of the wall. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope, like me, um, you thought that this was super cool. Freedom has many difficulties, and democracy is not perfect. But we have never had to put a wall up to keep our people in, to prevent them from leaving us. So let me ask you as I close, to lift your eyes beyond the dangers of today to the hopes of tomorrow, beyond the freedom merely of this city of Berlin or your country of Germany, to the advance of freedom everywhere, beyond the wall to the day of peace with justice, beyond yourselves and ourselves to all mankind. Freedom is indivisible, and when one man is enslaved, all are not free. Lass sie nach Berlin in common. Let them come again.